everyone. It's me, Dr. Z, here with... JB, still not a doctor, but <laughs> still love being here and uh, have a really special guest today, Dr. Z. Very excited about this. Yes, we have Dr. Courtney with us, and I'm super excited about this. We've been planning this for a while, um, and if you don't follow her, we'll, we'll give you all her information, where to follow her, but she's amazing. Her TikTok videos are unreal, and she has a very good job of, in my opinion, breaking down mental illness in a way that is understandable, that is just real and raw, um, and really focusing on lack of stigma. Um, so I'll let you introduce your amazing self, and then we'll, we'll get started. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. So yeah, my name is Dr. Courtney Tracy. I'm known as the Truth Doctor online. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and a doctor of clinical psychology, and I specialize in co-occurring disorders for mainly the young adult populations, Gen Z and millennials. Um, and I have a large online presence accidentally that happened in the pandemic as a result of becoming a well-known TikTok therapist. And so here we are. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that pandemic. That pandemic that and those pandemic. algorithms. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out for everybody there. And what, that was, that's one of the biggest things when I go to your website, too, is just, um, you know, being very forward and open about stigma so much so that you've mentioned you hate the word vulnerable and would love to know why you hate it so much. Yeah. So let's talk about <laughs> kind of what what um, what are your views? I'm curious what your take is as far as current stigma of mental illness and the generation gap that that we see as far as people's acceptance and, and also understanding of mental illness. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I mean, to touch on the on the vulnerable piece of like why why I hate it so much. So vulnerability is important, of course, but but vulnerability means the definition is to be at risk of of experiencing physical or emotional harm. And so it's upsetting that we are considered vulnerable when we open up about our mental health, because that implies you open up about your mental health and you're at risk of being harmed emotionally or physically. And my goal is to get us to a place where it actually isn't something that's vulnerable where it's like, oh, I broke my leg last week. No one's like, oh my God, I can't believe you just opened up about that. Wow. You know, but if it's like, you know, I had a complete, you know, mental, mental breakdown at work, people are like, oh, that's like, I don't want to talk about that. And so my goal is, you know, my goal, and I think so many of our goal is to get us to a place where it's not vulnerable. It's just, it's a typical conversation. And that really, yeah. And that really pleads, that really plays into stigma as well thinking about where we're at in the current state of the world when it comes to mental health. You know, I'm someone that really plays on the generational differences <laughs> in general, Gen Z and then the higher, and you know, culture and society is doing that a lot too. Mental health, I think, has always been a concern for people, but the stigmatization came along because as we were developing our country <laughs> and as we were developing our own families, there's, there's sensitivities and there is vulnerabilities. And so in a way, I think that the stigma existed only a small percentage, but because of safety, because let's like not talk about it. It is actually uncomfortable. And if I can get somebody else to not talk about it, then that means I don't have to talk about it. So it's sort of a little bit of a protection, but I think also for the, the majority of it, it's, it's a misunderstanding. One of the biggest 
mysteries of our human existence is why we're conscious and how our mind works. And we don't quite have an answer to that. And don't so get it's us a, started on that. <laughs> and so, well, most people don't. And so it's scary to, to look at something like that. So, yeah. you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, this is how a bone is fixed. Right. But it's right. more difficult to say, this is how depression is fixed, or this is how the ego develops and how it can screw people over later on in life. So I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. And I think it's because it's something that's not directly observable. I mean, yeah, you can, you can do yeah. brain scans and you can, you know, but, but for the large part of mental illness, it's not something you can directly see inside. We can see our behaviors. We can, you know, see if we're crying, if we're angry, but we can't see feelings. And I think because of that, like you said, because we can't access it, it's very uncomfortable for people. And a lot of times people don't even realize that they're feeling anything because we're so trained to avoid everything. And that mm -hmm. I think your point, I think, is excellent about vulnerability. I never I never I, I never looked at it like that because yeah. you're, you're right. When you're vulnerable, you have to be on guard. Mm hmm because something bad may happen. And when you're on guard, that goes against the whole entire premise of sitting with your discomfort. It's two right. absolutely dichotomous views. And I, I really never looked at it like that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting thing to, to think about. And, and, and you make a good point about how, you know, the mind is so complex and that, yes, you can see the symptoms of mental illness, for example, but, but I think another point to touch on is that it's so vastly different you know, even if we look at the criteria for depression, you have to meet X amount of symptoms. And so therefore depression can look so different because it's not every symptom. But as you know, using that example, again, you break your leg. It's like we can imagine the feeling of physical pain, of getting a cast or being in the hospital or whatever. But the solution to really complex mental health issues is it's, it's just so vast that we can't actually grasp like a typical language for it unless we are a clinician. Right. And what's interesting is, is a lot of times when I work with people who are, and you can kind of tell in the beginning of someone's extremely avoidant of discomfort and very, um, I think we all are to some extent, but you can tell when someone's very guarded. And one of the things I'll start to do is I'll focus on their physical symptoms because it's so much easier for them to say if their stomach hurts or their head hurts or their back hurts or their joints hurt or they're not sleeping well, and then kind of start with that. But I think it's, it's that way because of the stigma that's been, in, been embedded. I mean, I know even for me growing up, and we talked about a lot, but no one talked about mental illness. It was like you were tired, right? Or right. you were in a bad mood, snap out of it. It wasn't something that was like you wouldn't sell someone with a broken leg, like, well, just freaking walk. Yeah. Right. I know it is. It's quite miraculous that we've actually gotten this far in society, not realizing how messed up it is to say, like, I say well, just get out of bed and like do it. I, just get I like, what is wrong time. with you? Yeah. And it's like, well, a lot. <laughs> like, I'm struggling. <laughs> what do you mean? Right. Um, so so can we talk a little bit about stigma as it pertains specifically to borderline personality disorder? Because I I think that people have a, again, except clinicians and people that who, who have borderline personality disorder, I think people don't have a good understanding, understandably so, of borderline personality disorder. I think there's a ton of misdiagnoses. I think that um, it, it, I think for men and women, I see themes in their misdiagnoses. And I, and I also want to talk about how it's different and how it's similar to narcissism and as far as the treatments go, because it's, it's they're different. Um, mm -hmm. But I think people kind of 
don't really know the, the inherent differences. So um, let's start with the stigma piece because there is a big stigma with borderline personality disorder, and I want people to, to understand it better and understand you know, why there doesn't need to be this stigma with it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on to discuss this. It, it is so important. And for those of you who don't know, I, I am a clinician that's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I was diagnosed 10 years ago um, when I was an in inpatient detox slash psychiatric stabilization. Um, so I was 22 and I was getting a bachelor's in psychology, wanting to be a therapist. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing to start off on. Borderline personality disorder, I think, is really stigmatized because of the way that the symptoms manifest when it comes to behavior. Suicidality, self-injury, harm onto other people, inter, you know, unstable relationships, substance use, and so on. And so it's these things that are sort of considered not okay in society, and they're really all grouped together. So you have this individual that sort of represents all the immoral, you know, if you place morals onto it, or destructive behavior. And you don't want that. And, and, it's, and it can really affect people. The people who are affected by those who have borderline personality disorder can be affected in really significant ways. So I think that that's part of where the stigma comes from. I also think that it's it, similar to how we are obsessed with serial killers. <laughs> I think we're also obsessed with believing that we have an understanding of something that we truly do not understand because we're so different from it. And so there's the stigma exists because it's, oh, I know what people are like that have borderline, but it's that's only outwardly. The experience, which, is, which I'm sure we'll get into because that helps us differentiate narcissistic personality disorder from borderline personality disorder, internal and external, the experience matters. Because if you can truly understand the reasons why, it doesn't make the behavior okay, but if you can truly understand the reasons why, then the stigma would decrease and the treatment would increase. And on and understands it and have an awareness in the moment when you're when you're doing it. I think which is the doing the behaviors, oh, which yeah. I think is probably the the most difficult aspect of it is to take that pause. Oh, absolutely. And 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 as stereotypical as this will sound as a therapist, that is truly the number one thing that has helped me change mm -hmm. is learning to pause and learning that there is an ability to create space between my thoughts and my actions. Even if it's a millisecond, it right. matters. You gain more conscious control. Yep. Yep. And that's for, I think we talked about this, I don't remember what episode, but cognitive diffusion, mm -hmm. where you separate you mm -hmm. from your thinking and that the, um, when people, and I'm sure you find this with people you work with, when, when you get them to, to even realize and have awareness of that pause, the amount of empowerment that somebody feels when they realize that they have a choice is mm -hmm. huge huge that, and listen, none of us are going to make the right choice every time N none of us whether you have borderline personality disorder or you don't you know right. we we always make crappy choices i think the difference is a lot of the behavioral choices when you're dealing with personality disorders specifically borderline personality disorder is that they're self-injurious and you know and, and it's it's, da it's more it's dangerous and so i yeah. think that that empowerment is a big big piece of this yeah, and I think, you know, especially with personality disorders, they occur over the course of development. And so we get used to these behaviors so much so that we feel as though they're not a choice. I come from a very existential background, um, and that's really important. The ability to know that you have a choice, you have freedom of choice, you have responsibility, and that matters. There's limitations to that choice and that responsibility, 
But at the same time, you need to know that you are making choices. Your brain, yes, it's automatic and these things are occurring immediately, but you have the potential to backtrack. You have the potential to slow down. And, and in reference for people listening, these behaviors are like, so there are still times, you know, people ask me, do, do you, would you still consider yourself having borderline? Yes, I would. And I think that I'm going to continue to have it forever. The reason being... I'm not interested in doing years and years and years of depth work. I've learned how to manage my symptoms and I like myself and I'm not harmful to myself or to other people around me. And at the same time, I think it's important to know that you can change those behaviors if you want to. It's just going to take a lot of time. Even this is totally, totally a, a bizarre example to give, but... I always use this when, when talking to people about choices and it's, it's such a like, <laughs> when I would, I, when I used to get consulted for nursing home consults or in like a, on the hospital, in the hospital, when I used to work in a medical hospital and majority of the time it was patient won't eat, patient won't take their meds, patient won't go to the bathroom, patient won't get up and get dressed. And, you know, and understandably, so the nurses would, you know, you have to get dressed, Mrs. Smith, you have to get, you know, you have to take your meds and they wouldn't, not because they're being defiant, but because they felt they had no control and that was a choice to them to not take their meds. So if you present right. them with something as simple as Mrs. Smith, you can take the red pill first or the white pill first, you choose. Then yes. when they had options, it was like a game changer because even though, you know, I do this with my kids even like, you know, I say to my daughter, like, all right, like, no, you're not, she's not wearing what she thinks she's wearing to school. So you can wear this or you can wear this, but you pick, yes. I'll leave you alone to pick. And and it works. This is so key. That's exactly what I thought about too. And it's, it's so important because often people with borderline and or some other personality disorders can act like toddlers. And some people get really offended by that. And I'm totally okay with being we told like that toddlers. my behaviors yeah, can be toddler can be toddler-esque at times. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. It's because yeah. we are living in this black and white control versus not control, safety versus unsafety, trust versus mistrust. All yeah. of it's it's this core aspect of our ability to feel like we have choice and we're safe. Mm -hmm. And 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 that continues on in, in personality disorders. We stay very black and white. You know, with, with yeah. borderline, it's a lot of splitting. And so we have to infuse those choices Can you into talk people. About what splitting is for people who are listening if they don't know? Certainly. So one of the symptoms of borderline personality disorder is unstable relationships. And along with that, another symptom is a lack of sense of self and fear of abandonment. So with a lack of sense of self and fear of abandonment, what's happening is we, many of us, not all, we don't want to be alone. We need a sense of safety. So we will bond to a person to get that sense of safety. However, we care about our own safety so much so that if this safe person is deemed unsafe, now we will push you away. And that actually makes ourselves more unsafe. So it's, I love you because you're making me safe. You're making me feel like I'm a human being and I exist and I have worth, but now you've threatened that exact thing. And so it moves into, well, now I need to exit you from my life because I have to feel safe and secure. And now you're the opposite of that. And that's part of where the stigma comes in because human, humans have value. Humans have value beyond how they can make you personally feel. And that often gets Such significantly overlooked. Such yeah. a hard concept. A, when, I'm listening yeah. to that and I'm like, oh, but like, you know, it, it, when someone doesn't praise you for something or, you know, somebody doesn't comment, you think you look, you know, you think you look good and you walk in and no one says anything, you know, st even stupid things like that. Like, right. 
you kind of feel like what you know (laughs) you Mm -hmm. realize like okay i need to give this to myself and that is i don't mental health or not that is such a hard thing to do especially when i think and maybe you know it's different with different generations but like i mean that's just not something you're taught ever yeah Right. Like, we're right. Not no, taught you're not feelings. We're taught, you know, it, it's, it's yourself. We're taught the capitals of the 50 states. That is, that is, <laughs> I just, my son just had that test and I was like, this is relevant. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he doesn't have Google. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. no one knows it needs to know it's Des Moines, Iowa. Right, you know, right, like, it's right, okay. Right. Uh, like, I, but I, we all do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and I hope you don't mind uh, me asking this either, but uh, you mentioned like exiting a relationship and what does that look and sound like when yeah, someone with a uh, uh, yeah, borderline personality disorder leaves any type of relationship? This is a great question yeah. because I have been with my husband for 18 years and I probably left him over 18 times. <laughs> so, and, and, and I'm okay with admitting that. And of course yeah. these were far more yeah. in the early times of our relationships, but it's true. I think it's important. I'll give you a really quick um, description of how my borderline developed because it's going to play into how people end up splitting and what that looks like. So a couple of months ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD combined type. So inattentive and hyperactive. And obviously I've had that since I was a child. So I didn't know that until now. My mom Mm -hmm. was a single mom. She was 20 years old in poverty and she still lives with my grandmother. So she always has. So Lack of parenting skills, born into an environment that was incapable of taking care of me with a mother that had poor, poor, well, poor self-esteem, poor inability to take care of herself and me. So I'm a child that's super sensitive, Mm -hmm. really needs to be understood, and I'm not getting any of that. So I would say not between birth and one, maybe between one and three, for sure between three and five. As my sense of self was developing, I was not mirrored. I was told I was too much or not enough. I was physically abused, emotionally abused. So through the development of my identity, of course we develop identity more in our teenage years, um, but we realize we exist between birth and five. So so I felt for a long time that I didn't exist. I didn't develop an ability to process my emotions. I didn't develop a sense of self and all these things happened really young. So then I progressed on and started to have more emotions. My emotions weren't handled, so I started self-injurious behavior, using drugs and alcohol. I started becoming violent with the people around me. And these, this is literally the criteria for borderline personality disorder. So I learned to adjust to my environment interpersonally in really negative ways. And my mother was a huge representation of splitting. I would be loved if I was quiet and did what I needed to do. I would be hated if I was in the way. And and I want to and want to interject for a second. When I what I just want our listeners to understand, this is not the same as your mom saying to you, you know, oh, stop crying, stop crying. Like you're going to go to your room, or you're not going to be able to, you know, have dessert if you cry. It, this is different. This is truly telling you, you. Or their behavior is suggesting you don't matter, right? Like I mm-hmm. don't like you as a, as a, as a person. It's 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 different. Um, yeah. It's, it's it's a whole different it's a whole different animal. And I think what you what you talk about, which I want people to know, because it's okay, is that we as children, when we grow up, we develop strategies to be able to survive. 
And the strategies you develop as a child were smart because they helped you get through. Otherwise, you wouldn't have. And so those strategies worked for you. And then when you get into a different developmental stage, at some point, they stop all of ours, stop working, not all of them, but a lot of them. And we have to be able to switch them or change them to adapt to our environment. Mm-hmm. And that's when people get stuck. Yes. We don't know any yes. other way. Exactly. And personality disorders can be so pervasive. In fact, that is the criteria for them because we haven't known any other way for as long as we haven't known any other way. And so I had these, these behaviors mirrored. That's what was mirrored to me. I was a toddler engaging in splitting, like, hey, you, I love you. You know, all toddlers do that. I don't love you today, mommy, right? You know, but then I would get it back. And that's what was really hard, was normally when you're a toddler, you want to live in an environment where if you're splitting or acting like a toddler, you're, you're being taught in a compassionate, empathetic way. Mm, let's not do that. And you're able to mirror those behaviors of, of emotional control. You're getting seen and all of those things. And so I was lacking all of that. Not only was I lacking being mirrored for the good parts of me, but I was also mirroring the negative parts of my environment. So that led to me engaging in these behaviors and growing them over time. I met my husband, now husband, when I was 17, the height of my borderline beginning. And what was really interesting was immediately he took on the role of good parent for me. He was the compassionate one. He saw me for who I really was. But the thing is, is I still had those behaviors. So I started treating him the exact way that I treated my mom and my mom treated me. And I've stayed in that relationship this whole time. And so what it looked like was when he would love me, it would be great. And then when he would say something negative about me, it would activate that exact pattern that I've had since I was three years old. And it's so intense for me when it came, when it came to survival back then, because hello, if I'm being treated that way at three, I might die. You know, that's what the, that's what my brain thinks. And so it goes to now somebody else is treating me this way. I might die, even though it's totally irrational. So I'm going to push them away the exact same. But now your it took body me a- also responds. It's not just your mind thing. You got your, your physical self neurologically, yes. all of that is responding as if you're going to die. And that is what is so important. And I think what really adds to the stigma of personality disorders is it's not just a moral or value choice. Our entire being believes, believes that we are going to die if this behavior looks similar to that past behavior where it might have actually happened. So an example of that will look like, like, so I split, right? And then how, how is this man still with me after all of this time, right? If it's, I hate you, or I'm going to cheat on you, or I'm going to harm you in whatever way, what it looked like at least for that reconciliation, which wasn't appropriate reconciliation back in the day. It looked like him saying, oh, I just, I understand your behavior. Like it's okay, basically. And then I would be like, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't mean to, but the thing is, is there was no growth. It was just an apology for the pattern and then nothing changed it. And this went on until I was actually diagnosed, which was five years later. Um, that I realized that's where that choice comes in. So I have a, I, I, I didn't necessarily have a choice at three because I was very much in my survival brain. It was, okay, fine, you don't want to love me, I don't love you. I'm going to distance myself and act like I don't exist and numb out. But now I realize through you know, my therapeutic process and being in school for 12 years that taught me literally how to heal, not myself, but just what the healing process looked like, I know that I have the capability for a choice. So these days, now that I still have borderline, I know what's going on in my brain to where when my husband makes a face or a sigh 
or a behavior that my brain knows was a typical pattern of my upbringing, I know to put on that small pause. And I wait, and, and the pause used to be a millisecond, now I can pause up to like a minute and a half, and the reason why that minute and a half is really important is because that's where the physiological change occurs. That's where I give my body and brain the opportunity to say, hold on a second, this is a past pattern of behavior, pull back out of that system, get conscious for a second, and see if you want to make a different choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you also, again, what I want people to know is it's, it's more than just knowing you have a choice. You're actually changing your brain chemistry in the process. You're actually rewiring your brain. That's why it's right. so important to, to, to have that pause. With the pause and the awareness and, and taking that space, can you talk to people about how that then differs let's say from narcissistic personality disorder kind of in that moment and why that pause may be something that's different between the two yeah well I mean I, I think it's obviously subjective every human being is different and I'm not an expert in narcissism so we can obviously come together on this but my opinion would be that in that pause, what we're recognizing is something different. So for me in that pause, what I'm recognizing is that I'm afraid that I'm going to be abandoned in this moment. And for someone who has narcissistic personality disorder, that pause may emphasize to them, um, you know, I'm worried about being judged or not feeling like I'm enough in this moment. And so it's that underlying feeling that mm -hmm. one is the most difficult to really get into when you're working with people one-on-one -on -one in this way or in, in any therapeutic context, but it's, but it's the most freeing once you actually figure it out. Yeah. I know I'm going to get yelled at for this question. <laughs> yell at John. Yeah, yell at me. <laughs> Do you think in your experience, in your clinical experience, and I guess, and I guess personal experience, do you think that people, because I get this question all the time, and I want to have somebody else answer it. Do you think that somebody with borderline personality disorder, let's say, versus someone who is narcissistic, and they obviously they overlap, but let's say someone who is kind of distinct, distinctly different, inherently different. Do you think that someone with borderline personality disorder has more awareness slash willingness slash acceptance, willingness to change acceptance of the situation and awareness of how their behavior impacts others? And um, not just a, not the awareness piece, the wanting to change that because they're aware of how they're hurting the other person. Uh, yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. I, I feel, I think, I mean. I know that was a loaded question. It's very general. <laughs> it's just generalized, right? So I yeah. have to say that off the yeah. bat. Not everyone's yes. going to fall into this. But, you know, I, I. I heard someone say, and this really stuck with me, that the difference between, one of the differences between borderline and, and narcissistic personality disorder is borderline is too much empathy gone wrong and narcissistic personality disorder is not enough empathy gone wrong. I love that. Um, and so, and, and basically what that means is at least in my perspective, when I was younger, I was so sensitive. I had so many feelings and I was forced to not process any of them. And so I didn't know what to do with it. And so it can appear as a lack of empathy for others, but really it was just years and decades of lack of empathy for myself and that my inner world became my outer world. Now on the other side, I think when it comes to narcissistic personality disorder, it's a lack of empathy 
because we aren't even allowing people who are narcissistic, they don't even allow themselves to feel their own feelings. And so how could they really emphasize that somebody else has feelings? Our inner world represents our outer world. And if we don't understand our inner world, we're not going to understand our outer world, at least when it comes interpersonally to other people. And so it's, it will be more difficult to tap into the feelings, but for a different reason, because the feelings aren't familiar for borderline. They're too familiar. I think yeah. That is the, uh, hands the greatest explanation down I've ever the heard. Best. That's why I wanted you to answer. That is hands down the best explanation I've ever heard. And I could not Thank agree you. more. I couldn't agree more. Like I, I get asked that and I try, I, ex, I explain it, I guess, more from the narcissism end of things, but to hear it that way is, is it, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I literally have nothing to add. I think that was the, the best Thank you. comparison I've ever heard. <laughs> well, and because well, of, yeah, I, I feel like, and obviously I know you said it's the pandemic and the algorithms and that's why uh, you're, you're most popular here. But I, I think, you know, that is a perfect example, I think, of why people are gravitating towards yeah. what you're saying in your message. And I'm honestly curious because, you know, you mentioned it is very Gen Z millennial, uh, millennial like dominated millennial. Um, <laughs> has, has your message been able to cross over, whether it's the Gen Z and millennials telling, you know, the Gen Xers and boomers, hey. uh, like, this is it. I'm not, I didn't say anything. Uh, <laughs> but is that, are you starting to see a lot more crossover than, you know, just, just the, the generations you're kind of after here? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and thank you for what you said. It means a lot. Um, yeah, you know, I really have been focusing on the younger generations currently. I do hear a lot that the younger generations will attempt to share the information that I've provided and they, they don't really get the response that they're hoping for. However, my next step in my career is to actually start to fuse the generational gaps. So I'm currently working on, we're pitching a show right now to look at that exactly, to take families with different generations and help them understand their mental health and to explain things in the way that I explain them and have them all come together. I think the the thing is, the biggest issue generationally is that I'm the older family doing that, and I'm like, oh, Whoa. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> the the biggest the biggest difficulty with the older generations is just how much time they have not addressing it already. Right. Like that's most most of people, a lot of the people in the generation, the younger generations, they have less time not addressing it, and some of them have been addressing it their entire lives, and so it really is just an easier language to accept and understand. That's fantastic. And good luck uh, on that, you know, next adventure. It seems like you've Thank got, you. as Dr. Z said, like a million things going on. So is there anything else that you want to make sure um, we're aware of uh, before There's we say goodbye? There's a big thing you just did. What? There's a huge thing you just did. I'll let you, you posted it the other day. I was like, oh my God. Oh, 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 right, right. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't think you forgot. Yeah. Yeah, I have, a, I have a lot going on, actually. I'm opening up a new treatment center specifically to help people with personality disorders and addiction. And then, of course, it comes along with that depression and anxiety, specializing in millennial and Gen Z. It's called Exist Centers. So I'm actually diving into my existential philosophy and really helping people realize that they have a choice and that they are responsible for the choices that they make and that there's a reason that they make those choices. And I am... My book auction just closed for my first nonfiction debut book called You Are Unconscious is Showing, which will also dive into what I learned about my own borderline personality disorder, how my body, brain, and mind work, and how other people can take those lessons and apply them to themselves even if they don't have a mental illness. Yeah, I, I, I love that because I think 
the strategies that we teach people to use about understanding themselves or behaviors, all of that. I think, I don't think people realize that those aren't just for mental health quote issues. Those are daily tasks to like live by, right? Like cognitive diffusion strategies or, you know, mindfulness. I mean, that's, that's, those are daily things you do, whether you have depression or not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, one of the best example that I give for, for the point you just made is like, in therapy, sometimes people will spend an entire goddamn therapy session learning how to accurately breathe. Yes. It's <laughs> yes. like, Man. you don't, like, we you need to know how to do that. Yeah. We need yep. to know how to, like, use our physiology to yep. calm ourselves down. It's not something, and it's been gatekept for so long. And it's interestingly for people who were experiencing serious mental health issues because of that stigma. It's like, I don't know. It's just so weird. It's like, yeah, I just paid 150 for somebody to teach me how to do deep diaphragmatic right. breathing. It's like, right. because I spent the last 20 years of my life suffocating myself just because nobody taught me how my body works. So Correct. it's interesting. And it also, um, it helped one of the things too, with, with borderline personality and, and any, 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 any mental health condition is, is you have to regulate your nervous system. If you don't regulate your nervous system, it really doesn't matter what you do with your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors, because you're, you're at the mercy of your nervous system. You have to regulate that. And it's such a key component. Um, and that's why we'll spend an entire session telling someone they breathe wrong and here's how you breathe properly. And they're like, what? <laughs> that's a, you exactly. know, um, we all go through life breathing mm-hmm. incorrectly, truly. Yeah. And I mean, our brain is literally part of our nervous system. The fact that people think we can heal our mind that's in our brain, that's in our body as part of our nervous system without addressing our nervous system is ridiculous. Yeah, Yeah. literally, literally. It's literally mind, like your mind will blow up and you will not get better. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Sorry, but your mind's going to blow up. (laughs) Don't blow up mind. Focus on body. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Don't blow up your mind. Uh, Dr. Courtney, thank you so much. And of course, uh, the truth doctor.com, yeah. uh, where you can find yes. everybody in social and all that. Fun yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Where can yes. people find you on Instagram and especially TikTok and, and all of those places? Yeah. Thank you. Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube are all at the period truth period doctor. And then I have a snap show called therapist reacts. So if you're interested in somebody diving into the mental health of celebrities, then check it out. We love that. We love that. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much for having me on.